It's Light the Tower, your daily look around the world of sports with Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way. And Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe. On your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, The Horn. Ah, yes, Monday morning, I know thee well. Don't we all? And yet, we shake it all off and we go back to it. That said, shake it off. There was a Taylor Swift concert over the weekend, wasn't there? Yeah. Uh, I know some people that went there. I did not, however. Uh, good morning. Hope you're doing well. Welcome to Light the Tower. On the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. Or we're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. My name is Craig Way. Glad to have you with us alongside. Jeff Howe will be along shortly. And, of course, our producer is none other than Cameron Parker. And uh, how'd your weekend go, by the way, Cam? I know you were rather busy during the course of the weekend, were you not? It was a great weekend. Uh, it's now officially Master's Week, Craig. That is. That it is. And when, when I grew up in uh, North Carolina, the tournament for, for years in the 60s and 70s uh, and into the 80s, the tournament for, for many years that w- preceded the Masters the week before was not the Valero Texas Open. It was the Greater Greensboro Open where I grew up. And so the GGO was, was the week before. Now, it was cool in one respect because sometimes a golfer would take a solid, if not winning, performance in Greensboro and parlay that into a contending, if not winning, performance at Augusta Nashville. I, I, I remember uh, Tom Weisskopf comes to mind. He won the GGO in 75, and it was in that epic uh, three-way duel with Jack Nicklaus and Johnny Miller, and, and the Golden Bear ended up winning his fifth green jacket uh, there in 1975. And, and I remember that, but Weisskopf took it down with the wire, and he had won the week before in Greensboro. But it's um, in, in North Carolina, or in Greensboro anyway, it took a while for folks to kind of warm up to Jack Nicholas because he would always skip the GGO to go to Augusta a week early in practice. So that's why they favored Gary Player, Arnold Palmer, uh, even Sam Snead, who won the GGO eight times you know, in, his, in the twilight of his career. So they liked all, they liked all of those guys. Uh, Tom Watson, a youthful Tom Watson, would play in Greensboro before uh, going uh, to the Masters. So uh, it was it was that sort of thing. But you're right. Then you get into Masters Week, and um, you know there's the practice day, and then there's uh, and then the par three tournament. Then it gets going. I've never gone, um, and, and usually it's because I'm rather busy. Like this weekend, there's baseball. Uh, that that uh, that needs to be called. So um, you know, maybe someday. But uh, have you ever been? By the way, I was supposed to go in. You're wearing a master shirt. I'm just looking at that. There yeah. you are. No, I was credentialed to go for 2020. Okay. And then uh, a global pandemic hit. Yeah. And it was uh, delayed. 
So you didn't go to the one they did like in November? What was it? The, the one they yeah, did? Yeah, no, it was pretty restricted access yeah. because of COVID-19. Yeah, right. Okay. All right. So that's still on the bucket list for you. 100%. There, just to make that. 100%. Okay. Okay. I'll tell you what one what a thing is, and, and, and my co-host can corroborate this for me, uh, what's on my bucket list. Uh, and I thought about it about 12.50 a.m. this morning, after midnight, driving home from the Colleen Airport. Um, Why'd you fly into Colleen? Well, I live about 25 minutes from the Colleen Airport as opposed to living almost an hour from Austin Bergstrom right. International. So you're so you're back to flying out of Colleen again? Uh, not always. It depends on flight schedules. Right. It just happened to work this particular way. But of course, when you go through, when you fly up to Colleen, you go through Florence. And so that means you're going through the Hell hometown yeah, of, uh, of, of my co-host, the pride of Northwest Williamson County and a proud graduate of Florence High School. Damn straight. Uh, but on my bucket list is someday to hit D Boone's. You know, that's you should. The, the store right there off 195. Now, was D Boone's always in that location or just <laughs> when the yeah, they see they were smart. They move when the highway yeah. when the highway um made its attempt old, to kill Florence. I believe, yeah, I believe the old location's a bar now. Okay. Uh, but the old location was out by the high school. Okay. That's why I used to stop there in the mornings and get uh Give me a big red and some breakfast tacos before school. See, okay, yeah. that was smart of them to do that—to move it oh, out yeah. by the current highway, which completely just bypasses Florence, Texas, USA, and that's unfortunate there because it's one of the great small towns of our state. It's, you know, the the downtown scene's kind of getting revitalized a little bit. There's that's a, good. There's a coffee shop there now and some restaurants. So that's good. Just getting a brewery. Okay. There's a brewery downtown. Now. So on my bucket list, then probably is to 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 hit some spots around Florence. Look, I mean, we're going to do a show from there at some point. Yes, we should. Promotions, are you listening? We, <laughs> so there. He is Jeff Howe, of course. You know him best for his outstanding work at Horns 24-7. Uh, I, I will tell you, though, it was uh, it was quite the uh, the journey getting back. First of all, you have the Longhorn baseball game in the way it ended yesterday, which from a Texas perspective obviously would be disappointing. <laughs> you start with that. But the day began earlier. Roger Wallace and I setting up the broadcast and we get the notification that our flight out of dfw to colleen no our flight from oklahoma city to dfw has been canceled just flat canceled it's it's canceled because of all the tornado warnings and the and the severe weather that was moving through the dallas forward there so we're like what are we going to do are we going to drive back we're going to this that we'll have to figure this out but we got about two three innings in the ball game and um American Airlines took care of it for us. They just automatically moved us to a flight that was going to leave at 6.30, and I thought, there's no way we can make that 6.30 flight with an hour, 15-hour, 20-minute drive from Stillwater back to But because of the weather, it got pushed back to 8.30, which is right around the time we were going to be leaving in the first place anyway. So then we get to there. But, oh, uh, the connecting flight to Colleen winds up leaving about an hour and a half late. And, I, and just to make myself feel better, I looked at the board and the – connecting flight that would have taken us to Austin instead, same boat. So didn't matter. You know, you were going to be delayed. Gotcha. So we end up landing a little after midnight and uh, then get the bags and drive back down. And so that was it. But I, but as I rolled past the Florence exit there, I saw D Boone's on the road. I said, I got to hit that sometime. And, and you and I have never talked about this. And maybe this feeds into your all uh, your hatred of all things Gerald. But it's sitting in a broken chair. Yeah. If you were either going northbound on 195 mm-hmm. or southbound on 195, when you get to the fine metropolis of Florence, there's an exit sign for it. It does not say Florence. 
it says Florence and Gerald mm-hmm. on it. Florence is on the top line. Gerald yeah, beneath as it that. should be. Yeah. So it, it's it, for foreign to market 487. Florence, Gerald, it says. Both of them are listed on the board there. But you're in God's country when you take that exit because you're on the good side of 487. When does it cross into being the bad side? Pretty much uh, once you get past the vineyard, then things start to get a little sketchy. There. Uh, okay. All right. All right. Yeah. So anyway. Uh, you just hear that aroma. They smell that aroma of goat pee and cow crap. And I have a feeling we'll hear from Purple Buffalo's daddy at some point about this. Spilt moonshine all over the place. Uh, okay. Okay. You hear the cries of sheep in distress that lets you know you're getting one close thing to you the cannot deny ways. is the is the buildup along i-35 and i even out east of gerald as it continues to grow well at least there was plenty of land available there to that's what that is that is true that is true okay so uh pretty busy weekend at final four going on uh major league baseball with its first full weekend obviously uh big 12 baseball and the longhorns series in stillwater there was a scrimmage on campus at the University of Texas. There was football uh, to discuss. There were a great many things that took place during the course. So how did your weekend unfold for you? Well, I didn't have a whole lot of sports viewing or attending because baseball team was out of town. Basketball season's done. Yep. And the football scrimmage was closed, and there was no availability. So I kind of enjoyed a weekend off for the first time in – I don't even know the last time I had a weekend off between football season and then going right into basketball. Yeah. I don't know the last time I've had a weekend off. So I enjoyed it. Wow. Uh, Charlotte had her first daddy-daughter dance at school on Saturday. How'd that go? That was It was fun. It was good. So we did we did that on Saturday. All right. Now, what, what actual dancing did you do? Uh, it was basically me monitoring my five-year-old to make sure she got in and out safely. Uh you know, the big thing when you've got a five-year-old at any kind of function with their friends, mm-hmm. it's making sure the sugar intake stays on the low. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I did a very, very bad job of that. Really? Yeah. The balance got out well, of Well, my daughter, she's a little sneaky. She would kind of weave her way through the crowd, and I'm like, Where, where'd Charlotte go? And then, you know, she's got another thing of cotton candy. I'm like, bug, too much sugar, way too much sugar, which she was... All kinds of wired. And on Sunday, yesterday, uh, we added a new member to the house. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You, do your kids ever have a pet rabbit or some something of that variety? Uh, um, I don't think my kids ever. I did at one time, uh, but I did not, did not have a rabbit. Hey, look at you just in time for Easter. You got, got a, a rabbit. You got Charlotte wanted a rabbit, and you know she did Easter pictures, and the people, you know, I, I guess the people that had that were doing easter pictures they got a bunny and they're like look we can't keep this rabbit mm. and made the mistake of asking my wife do you want it and of course what five-year-old Ooh. doesn't want a rabbit and she was like can we get it and my wife was like look charlotte wants it i want it i'm like well I- i'm pretty much outvoted here so i don't know why you're asking Wait, me Tamara wanted the rabbit yeah. too mm-hmm. yeah was did she, this is there something Deep-seated psychologically no. uh, 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 missing here from her past, where she wanted one as a kid and could not have no, one. No, she was something. just like, "Look, it, it's so cute. Can we can we get it? Like, I think it would be great for Charlotte." I was like, "That's that's y'all's deal. I'm I'm not. I'll, I'll you know I'll pick up after the cat and you know the cat's my he's my little buddy and yeah. I'll clean up his litter box." I was like, "You're not you're not dealing with I rabbit pellets. I ain't cleaning up rabbit poop." Yeah. So that's that's y'all that's y'all's deal. Do you know that Chad Hastings calls when you go to like say a convenience store, and you get like what's not the cube, but you get like the crush ice. He calls it rabbit pellet ice. Is that like the Sonic ice? 
Yes. Okay. He calls it. Yeah, he likes that with the rabbit that. pellet ice. On so Daddy Daughter Dance got a rabbit and uh, okay. That's you so know, you did have an eventful weekend. Regardless. I could feel my I could feel my body starting to recover from uh-huh. a couple weeks of sleep deprivation. Uh huh. Had to kind of catch up, let the body clock get readjusted. Every time I think I'm about to recover from that, then I get hit with a weekend like this past yeah. weekend. <laughs> because I'd actually got some sleep Saturday morning because it was a Saturday night game. But, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, this morning came around. And to the texture that said, make sure uh, I secure all my electrical wires. Rabbits will chew Ooh. through them. There's a reason why the rabbit's in a cage right now. And a very large house is on the way, courtesy of Amazon, which I think is supposed to be delivered today, if I'm wow. not mistaken. I so, hope it's delivered today. Somebody said, who and why did someone name that little town Ding Dong on 195? It's more, as my dad used to say, a wide spot in the road. It's, yeah. it's not really a town. It's not incorporated. It's not a city. But it, it'll appear on your maps and yeah. gazetteers as Ding Dong. Because if you think of, you know, it, the people think of that, that country song. But that the Ding Dong Daddy was from Dumas. Is there a, I, I, there's a cafe there. I don't know if it's still open. It's, it's had several iterations of it. Yeah, where it says Ding Dong Taxes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's alive and well. And you got Triple uh, Seven Estates, right? Yeah. I had a couple friends that live down in that way. Yeah. And then you've got the other part of that road that goes to Maxdale. Yep. And ding, it basically Ding Dong. Farm to Market 2670. Basically, by the way. Ding Dong is just like the convenience store, cafe, feed store, whatever iteration that building is. That's it's your much. one. That's your one spot yeah, in that in that community. Yeah. So that's I, I don't know who or why it was named that, but there it is. Yeah, Triple Seven Estates, Craig, a short walk from there is where I used to go cause shenanigans on the Lamp Passes River back in the day. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. Never spotted a gator out there, even though there there were there have proven, reports of them. Have proven to be gators in the Lamp Passes River. I never saw one. Somebody said, need to do a show at Keith's place, finest water hole around. Is that in Florence? <laughs> That's on the outskirts, yeah. It's going to Gerald. It's before the vineyard, so it's still okay. it's still in the classy part of 487. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, what a bizarro Dale Dudley. Uh, ah, yep, I love it. Thank you, sir. Or uh, madam. You don't need to add that. Uh, he said, no, it's a Gerald, Texas, where the men are men and the sheep are scared. All right. That's an old, worn-out joke that people say about. Aggies and stuff like that, so we don't need to go down that road. Well, I did. So. <laughs> yes, yes, you did. And you uh, did. We got a got a message on the Twitter machine from Big Craig. Uh, yeah, I can't give you a take on WrestleMania because I didn't watch it. I, my, I let my Peacock subscription lapse, and I didn't watch it either oh. night. Yeah. So you had to be a Peacock subscriber to get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did read some of the results. I haven't read all the results, but I'll tell you this: an inconceivable, mm-hmm. Craig. Yes. We have a massive story. Excellent. From the world of sports and entertainment. Okay. All right. Dare uh, I say a paradigm shifting story wow. in the world of sports and entertainment. We'll look forward to that. How's that for a tease for you there? Uh, we also have a long or notebook coming up by my hour. Your, is that football related or are we just going with the David Pierce sound? We do have that, by the way. Um, you know, but, we'll, we'll save football. We'll pro- we'll s- we can say football for hour two. We can sprinkle okay. football in throughout the show. Okay. But I want to get to the David Pierce audio, mm-hmm. and there's some Rodney Terry audio mm-hmm. that I feel like people are maybe blowing out of misrepresenting a, bit, a bit. We'll we'll get to some of that. We'll, we'll I'll I'll get that to Cam here in a second. We'll we'll have that for the bottom of the hour. Well, I I know I know the audio of which you speak, and uh, there's a very uh, and I, I saw this on Twitter and totally agree. There's a very important omission of one word that kind of changes the dynamic of the intent of that conversation. We'll just we'll put it that way, and and we'll do that. Uh, oh yeah, we knew we 
we would uh, hear from your friend, Purple Buffalo's daddy. He said, Gerald's living rent-free in Jeff's mind. Go Cougs. Uh, somebody else, love the Gerald Florence talk. Lived in both. Gerald is more friendly to my complexion currently in Gerald. That's interesting. Okay. Uh, does Jeff hate Gerald as much as Stephen A. Smith hates the Cowboys? That's pretty close. No, my my disdain for Gerald is not contrived. How about that? <laughs> it is not contrived. It is, however, exaggerated and blown out of proportion. I will say that. I mean, it is. It's. It's. I think people realize what g- we're doing here. Gone beyond the boundaries. It's the, like uh, you know. How does Chris Angel make himself disappear? I don't know. Just enjoy the show. Yeah. Does he, like, wave his hand in front of his face like Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark have done so you can't see me? You know, here's the thing about that. Uh, (laughs) No, seriously. And I brought this up on the show before because people are like, oh, it's the John Cena bit. No, even John Cena credits Tony Yayo was the originator of that move. Really? But Tony Yayo did a hold the hand in the face and shake your head. John Cena did the head still and then shake your hand in front of your face. So just make sure through all this, whatever side of this argument you're on, just make sure you give Tony Yeo his respect <laughs> that he was the innovator of said move. See, when I see that, you know what I think of? I think of John C. Riley in Talladega Nights. I'm Magic Man. Now you see me. Now you don't. <laughs> that kind of thing. It's stupid. It's no, it's not. Yeah, you're right. It's pretty awesome. It's <laughs> the two of them. <coughs> I'm the magic man. Just need to give Tony Yayo his props. That's all I'm okay. Saying. Okay. And I know that it engendered a great deal of conversation um, about Angel Reese kind of following Caitlin Clark around for anywhere estimates between 11 and 15 seconds, whatever. People she timed was kind of it. Doing that. There, there were people who timed it. How losers have time to uh, do that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then there are other people that compared it, you know, what she did, uh, Haley Van to Haley Van Lith when they, when they beat Louisville, what that Caitlin Clark did. Um, it, it's basically the way of the game, whether one chooses to like it or not, that players will do that. I, I've noticed this years ago that we've gotten to a point in, um, in pro sports, Intercollegiate athletics and even high school athletics. I'm sure Cam sees this on the high school scene. Where, where, even though coaches and and God love them, try as hard as they can to keep it about team. A lot of it comes down to the individual, and they will say, you know, make it uh, about me. Even within the team framework, that's the gray area there. When someone has a standout performance and it helps his or her team win that person is going to be somewhat glorified and and exalted a bit. And so there is the inherent risk of the person taking it, taking it and running with it and making it uh, quite a bit about themselves. And that's going to strike different people different ways. Um, I've, I'm, I'm old school. I freely admit it. I've... Uh, uh, but I thought that a lot of what we used to see in sportsmanship um, kind of has dissipated over the years anyway. So I love the sport for the athletic competition that it is, and I try not to dwell too much on uh, what happens in terms of the individual, you know, um, athletes, student athletes, pro athletes, whatever. Uh, we'll, we'll say some of the things they'll say. They'll do some of the things they'll do. I, I got full 
full exposure to this. Oh, 10, 11, 12 years ago when my youngest son Jason was in a youth league baseball tournament yeah. and they had a kid on his team who was pretty talented and he hit a home run. Now this this kid's like 10 at the time and he crosses home plate and and his teammates are high-fiving him and folks are, hey, way to go. And he just turned and he announces to the crowd, he goes, God gave me the talent. The rest is up to me. <laughs> That's a 10-year-old. And I thought, okay, I can clock out now. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, that's the kind of thing you can't help but laugh. Yeah. And you know? and I think that was the exact same tournament or a similar one uh, that same summer where the kid I told you threw down, a, a 10-year-old threw down like a couple of monster drinks and then threw up all over the place. His parents let him have that. Yeah. It was See, an eventful summer that year I, in the old uh, Cedar Park Youth League Baseball. I think by the time you get to college, though, like – I, especially youth sports. I think sportsmanship should be at the forefront. And having fun should be at the forefront, too, above all else. Even, sure. Even above sports. Absolutely. That's supposed to be fun. But I think by the time you get to college, especially now in the era of name, image, and likeness, uh-huh. where athletes are getting paid, not everybody's getting paid, not everybody's getting paid the same, but people are getting paid. I think at that point, you don't want somebody to showboat. Don't let them, don't let them do whatever's going to allow them to do that. Yeah. Like if anybody had a problem, I know Texas lost a game yesterday, but if anybody had a problem with Garrett Gilmet's bat flip yesterday, okay, don't serve him up one that he's mm-hmm. going to drive 460 feet out of the yard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and if you have a problem with the way that Oklahoma State celebrated the walk off, then don't get walked off. Exactly. You know, it's it is part of it. It's it's just part of the deal. I'm not endorsing it. In fact, I'm not in favor of it. But it is what it is now. That's what has happened. So I think a lot of us just come to accept and like I said, I enjoy the the competition for what it is and I try not to dwell too much on the other. What what the here's the thing. The the Caitlin Clark deal, mm-hmm. her having the, it done back to her, uh the Tony Yayo, John Cena bit, yep, whatever, yep. however you want to couch it. Right, right. That's no different than, you know, the Miami kids at the end of the Elite Eight game running to find a CBS camera and doing the horns down. Absolutely. It's part it, it it's part of what happens. Don't not, like it? it no. You know, one of my favorite it's, ones, it's, it, even though the rivalry is not near what it used to be, I used to love when, like, Miami and Florida State, when that game meant something in football, mm-hmm. and let's say Miami won the game in Tallahassee, and then you start doing the tomahawk chop yeah, yeah, to yeah. the student section. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. You go win in somebody's house, you should be able to celebrate a little bit. So there's going to be there's going to be a lot of that. It's just, it it, it is. Now, I will tell you this. Uh, what was on stage front and center yesterday and you know me you've known me long enough to have to know how i feel about this what was on stage front and center yesterday is something that i've been talking about for at least 20 years because it goes back to my first year of doing play-by-play of texas women's basketball in the 97 98 season and that is the quality of officiating in the women's game yeah for folks who were, what what I got yesterday was just absolute sticker shock by a lot of people. God, this is awful. This is terrible. This is awful. These individuals. Let me tell you something. It's it's been like that for decades, and it's a variety of reasons for it. Um, I, I told the story that when Kevin Weiberg was the commissioner of the Big Twelve, I asked him, and this is early two thousands. It's been been a minute since he's been the boss, man. I said, why is the officiating so poor in the women's game when compared to the men's game? And he told me at that time, he said, not for on-the-air use. I said, okay. 
He said, we can't get enough quality officials in the women's game. So you see the same names regenerated and circulated and over and over and over and that sort of thing. So uh, the, the, the whole deal with the technical foul on, on Caitlin Clark, uh, Lisa Jones is an official I've seen work for years and years and years. And believe it or not, she's one of the better ones, um, everything being relative. But um, the, the, the thing that always got me about the women's game is it's not a lack of awareness. It's a lack of of just uh, being dialed in. Mm -hmm. They they just flat miss things, poor angles, uh, things like that. Men and women who who work the the women's game, and it's unfortunate. Uh, So that's that's a big part of it. And so the country got exposed to a lot of that yesterday, and those were supposedly some of the cream of the crop, although I can tell you I saw some officials working – Elite eight games and sweet 16 games for the women. I thought, how could fill in the blank? How could that <laughs> official be assigned that? You know, I just, I, it just was confounding to me. So there's, there's that. Is it like sending Linus and Charlie Brown to get the Christmas tree? Like, well, what'd you expect? Yeah. It was a blockhead. He went and got the tree. Yeah, it's that sort of thing. Uh, we had somebody on the Specs text line said, Craig, I didn't know you were from North Carolina. Let me ask you a question. Is Mayberry a real place? Before I answer that, um, of course, you know, Cameron Parker's from the Old North State as well. Uh, you grew up in the Charlotte area, right? Mm-hmm. How old were you when you came to Texas? The first time, I was probably about two years old. We went back, and then I came back for college. So I was in Charlotte from, like, age 7 to age 18. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, you, you kind of did like it. It came out at age 18. I, I grew up in Greensboro. He grew up in Charlotte. Uh, that sort of thing. Uh, you can answer this question, can't you, Cam? Is Mayberry a, a real place, a real town in North Carolina from the Andy Griffith show? Oh, I don't no. know that. I'm going to say no. The answer is no, but I will tell you this. It is modeled on an amalgamation of several small-town elements in North Carolina, including Andy Griffith's hometown itself, which is Mount Airy. Mayberry, Mount Airy. It's, it's, it's modeled on that. In the show, you also hear them refer to a town called Mount Pilot, which is 12 miles away. There is a real town. It's not Mount Pilot. It's Pilot Mountain because there's a little knob there, uh, a hill thing. It's Pilot Mountain, and it's about 12 miles away. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, so there are a lot of, of real elements that are drawn from it in the small-town vernacular in North Carolina. And I, and I it, Watching that show when I was a kid, you hear a lot of the things that I heard as a kid in some of those small towns. Say, it's not like in King of the Hill, there is no Arlen, Texas, but you'll hear references to Texas towns. Exactly. Like Belton and San Marcos. Exactly. There is no McMainerberry either. Yeah, right. <laughs> that, uh, Arlen is what situated around the Houston area, isn't it? You know, I th- no, I think Mike Judge has said it's positioned like where the real Garland would okay. be. Okay, northeast Kinda side like of a Dallas. suburb, yeah, a suburb of a okay. thriving metropolis. Okay, yeah. all right. So anyway, that that uh, that's, I think I'm correct on that. I you're probably I right. was wrong once. But. Yeah, uh, Stoner says the final would have been better if only D had been uh, one of the three officials. Yeah, D Cantner is the most decorated of those final four officials. She worked a semifinal uh, out of that, and she is the most decorated. Has worked probably the most final fours of anyone, and even she draws a lot of criticism. But she's she is I think. Uh, if if not the best, she's right near the top uh, of of the final four officials. I mean, of of women's basketball officials. Officials are like offensive linemen. 
If I know your name throughout the course of a game, it's either really, really good or really, really bad. That's a good point. It's a very good point. So, all right. Uh, oh, and uh, uh, Longhorn Bear with this uh, text, and it's going to get us to what we'll say with the uh, notebook coming up. It says that brick backstop at OSU didn't work for UT, especially in the ninth inning, tough outing for Morehouse. We'll get to that coming up. Uh, we also have inconceivable. I can't wait to hear what Jeff's inconceivable uh, submission is. We'll have that as well. And um, we have a couple of Longhorn notebooks and a lot more as we continue to light the tower on the horn. 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the horn app and at hornfm.com. This is Light the Tower on the Horn. Craig Way, Jeff Howe with you. Cameron Parker, our producer as well. Hey, I want to remind you that the golf tour of Central Texas, powered by Callahan's General Store, is back this month. We're shining the spotlight on Austin Country Club, founded in 1899. Austin Country Club, one of the oldest existing clubs in Texas, and home to one of the greatest golf instructors who ever lived, the immortal Harvey Pinnock. Also, home of the 2023 Dell Match Play. That happened uh, earlier. You can take a, a tour with uh, Aaron Hogan and the golf pro Omar Uresti as they took in a few holes around Austin Country Club. Visit hornfm.com. Click on the Golf Tour of Central Texas tab. Thanks to Callahan's General Store. As Cam mentioned, it is Masters Week, so getting ready for uh, the uh, play at Augusta National. But right now, it's time for a Longhorn Notebook. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. And and uh, Jeff's got a couple of things, and then we've got some baseball to get to as well. So where should we start with this? Where would you like to start? I don't even this? want to start with what I was talking about during the break. Yeah, that yeah. Was, thank you. Thank you for not. Geez. Thank you for not. Uh, thanks Ruined for not doing that. Um, yeah, Ken, let's go ahead and get to this Rodney Terry audio. So he was on with uh, Rob Dowser in the field, uh, Randolph Childers and... I think Terrence Oglesby, the, they were on the Field of 68 podcast. They've done a whole week's worth of live stuff down in Houston. RT was on there yesterday. And I would encourage you to find this on their Twitter account and listen to the full interview with RT. I think it puts it a little bit better in perspective. But this is kind of the, the quote that's or the soundbite that's got some people up in arms. Uh, and we'll break it down when we're done. You know, Chris is a great coach. And, again, someone I respected for over 20 years in the business. But – but again, Chris didn't put this roster together by himself. We oh, put absolutely this, not. We put absolutely. this roster Tell together. Tell him again, RT. Tell him again. Hey, <laughs> hey, I recruited three starters. Tell him again now. Yeah. No, I don't, I'm not one to pat myself on the back, but, you know, heck, we – we got in the no, trenches together. There you go. Yeah, you got to do that. Don't disrespect you either now. Don't disrespect you either now. They ain't do that by himself. We put this roster together, man. I recruited three starters on this roster here, so let's don't get it twisted. But no, you know what? You know, it's a team effort. It's always a team effort, you know, in terms of putting a roster together. I've been at Texas basketball, you know, when we've had the highest of highs. I mean, you could go back to the best five seasons in Texas basketball, and I've been a part of them. Uh, the entire time. So I know the landscape. I know what it takes to be successful at this university. And, uh, you know, we're going to roll our sleeves up and, and get after it. You know, we're going to try to get the best guys, you know, not only in the, in the state of Texas, but also around the country and, you know, internationally to come in and, and represent the university the right way, both on and off the court. But uh, it'll be a group, you know, it'll be a team effort in terms of putting a really good roster sure. together. But, you know, we're here for no other reason to try to win a national championship. Do you, 
do you like the timing of the portal? Like the, the thing that that makes me so. Yeah, so that that's the gist of it. But you know, Craig, I saw some. And granted, look, it's Twitter responses, so you're going to get all kinds of fan bases with all kinds of agendas responding in sure. a Twitter thread. If you listen to the full interview, they were asking, you know, RT about building a roster. And I believe the question was phrased to him, you know, how do you respond to people when they say, oh, well, he did this with Chris Beard's players or right. he inherited this? If you listen to that and if you listen to Rodney Terry throughout the year, if you know RT at all, that's not RT being malicious. That's just him in the flow of a conversation. It's not him taking shots or anything of that nature. That That's in, that, on the surface, that's how I took it. Yes. And um, he has said from the outset that it was a communal effort in putting the team together. And it's true because Roddy was the out front guy on the recruiting scene with Ron Holland. He was working it, you know, diligently. But the, there was, when it was tweeted out, for whatever reason, the word buy got left out. When he said Beard did not put the, Chris didn't put this together himself. Yeah. The leaving out the word by, I think, was where he didn't put it together by himself. Right. Because they all kind of did it together. Bob Donawald worked it uh, really hard. Mm-hmm. Brandon Chappelle worked it very hard. I mean, they were all working it. And and uh, I think that that's was his point was, because that has come up a lot lately. Folks say, well, he did it with Beard's players. No, they, they did it with their players yeah. altogether. And I think that's important. That's an important distinction to and, make. And I think. I've said this before. I'll say it again. When Chris Beard was the head coach of Texas, when you would and, and Craig, you, I, I don't. I'm sure you've had this conversation with Chris. If you tried to talk to Chris on the record or off the record about recruiting, mm-hmm. he would tell you on or off the record. He'd say, "You know what? You, you'd probably be better off asking RT that because he's more involved to it in terms of the day to day than I am." Yep. Yep. That's straight from the horse's mouth. Yep. He used to say that. You're exactly right. So I don't. And you know. RT hasn't taken any credit for himself. He could have he could have made it about himself. He didn't make anything about leading up to the Elite Eight, to, to him getting the job. At no point publicly did he ever make it about himself. And he could have. He could have grandstanded and demanded for the demand sure. of the job and done all kinds of stuff. But he didn't. He made it about the players because it was about the players. And it was about their journey and their journey together as a team and, and this group doing it. Players, support staff, coaches, everybody included. So... I don't know. I just wanted to play that, get it out there. Mm-hmm. Specs text line is open three three seven three seven seven six. If you want to discuss, but I didn't take that anything as other than if you were having a, a casual conversation with RT, if there was no microphone or no camera on, that's probably how that thing would have sounded. And, and honestly, like for him, there's got to be some level of yeah. You probably get tired of hearing that at some point. That oh, you did it with Chris Beard's players. You did it with Chris Beard's players. No. For lack of a better term, like these were Texas players. A lot of different people on the staff had hands in getting all these guys to campus. Not only that, uh, while they all had hands on it, Ronnie was the point man on yeah. a lot of that. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's only fair to point out that part of it as well. And like that, you know, say what you want about RT, that thing could have easily come off the rails in December, and we're not even talking about this team no doing doubt. anything close to what it did. Yep. If if it wasn't for Rodney Terry's leadership, and and I think the players would be the first to tell you that they they know, have been. I know Timmy Allen has 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 said that. I know Tyrese Hunter has said that. And by the way, we we'll talk about Tyrese's decision here in a sec before we get to this David Pierce's audio. But that's 
I think that's all it was. I, I think some people just want to blow this up and make it more than what it is, but that's I didn't take it as much more than, hey, that's just RT within the flow of a conversation and don't, don't make it more than what it was. Right. Uh, no, I agree with you on that. Uh, okay, Tyrese Hunter. Yeah, so he announces that he's going to put his name in the, the pool for the NBA draft while maintaining his college eligibility. The key, There's two keys here in this announcement. One, the fact that he's going to maintain his collegiate eligibility, which means he's not going to sign with an agent. And two, he didn't say anything about entering the transfer portal, which like if you go back to Courtney, right. Courtney Ramey last year, Courtney entered the transfer portal. So it's like, okay, if he comes back to college, he's not coming back to Texas. If Tyrese Hunter's coming back to play college basketball for the 23-24 season, it's going to be at Texas. Mm-hmm. And I do think it's going to end up with Tyrese Hunter coming back. And there's there's nothing wrong. Dylan DeSue did this last year. Yep. Andrew Jones did it before and came back. Like We've seen guys go through this draft process and go across the country. We've seen guys do this. Mm-hmm. And Drew Timmy's done this. A lot of different guys have done it. You go to the workouts, you go through these different, you go through the combine, you go through this draft process, and you get open, honest feedback from the NBA on where you are, what you need to work on. It's great for the guys to go through that. And Tyrese has not been through that process yet. So from his standpoint, it's, hey, now I'm going to get open, honest feedback about if I want to play in the league, where do I need to get better? Uh, Because I don't think he's going to have a first-round type grade or a high second-round type grade where maybe you can get a two-way contract or anything like that. I do think, and everything I've heard behind the scenes, Craig, I think the staff is expecting Tyrese Hunter to be back for next season. So however you slice it, he's going to go through the draft process, but I think once the dust settles, it's going to be Tyrese Hunter coming back to Texas for another season. But uh, no, nobody should have a problem with him going through the draft process. Right, right. And I, I wish they had it. You know, in the other sports as well, get a chance to get real feedback yeah. with still the option to return as long as you don't, uh, you know, retain professional representation in yeah. terms of a sports agent where you're getting money right up front. Different than the NIL situation. Football's, football's ba- let me say this, basketball is the easiest to do because yep. of the way the season and the draft is structured. For football, it's so tough because... The draft deadline bumps right up in a lot of cases with the start of a spring semester. So are you still going to class? Are you trying to go to the draft process? And baseball, the draft happens right now. It used to happen during the College World Series. I know a lot of coaches are happy now that it's it's after Omaha. Uh, but, you know, baseball, there's not really a, a draft process, so to say, to go through. And most of the guys that are either you're the draft-eligible sophomores or your third-year juniors, whatever it is, most of those guys have a pretty good idea of where they stand or what's going to happen anyway. So yeah. I think for baseball, there's a little more clarity. Football, it's really muddied. I think basketball gives you the best platform to be able to do that compared to the other two. Agreed uh, with all that. Uh, so the baseball team played uh, Oklahoma State, as we know. Uh, they won on Friday night, 5-3. to three. I got a couple of home runs. Uh, you know, Jalen Flores was inserted as a DH. It's a two-run homer. Turns out to be really the margin of difference. Asked David Pierce on Saturday. I said, "Look, I don't intend this to sound like a backhanded compliment, but how much of a deal like that, where Flores hadn't played in a few days, and you insert him into the lineup as DH? Uh, how much of that is analytics and what you're looking at and righty-lefty matchup and this and that, and how much of it is a hunch?" And he said, well, it, it comes down to the staff. They have good conversations about it, meaningful discussion about who would work well in a certain given situation, and it worked out well. Saturday, they ran into a just a white-hot pitcher 
in Jerron Watts-Brown, Long Beach State transfer, who did consider transferring to Texas and and ended up uh, – it came down to Texas-Oklahoma State. He transferred to Oklahoma State, and he had eight sparkling innings and got the win. And then, uh, and then yesterday is the one that really hurts because the Longhorns certainly – they got the three-run homer by Garrett Gilmet in the first inning, had a couple of opportunities, but really didn't take full advantage against Brian Hendry. This was a guy, Hendry, who gave up seven earned runs to Baylor in a Friday night start the prior week. And Oklahoma State came back to win that game 11-9 in 11 innings, and they wind up sweeping Baylor, and Baylor just got swept by Kansas. So Baylor is clearly struggling. And the Longhorns could not take advantage of it. And then the one that really sticks out like a sore thumb is you get to the top of the ninth inning, they get the bases loaded with nobody out. Um, This is one thing that has been, that has popped up from time to time in situations, win or lose, even during the 16-game winning streak, is that the bottom of the order not being able to get, you know, somebody home. Uh, Jared Thomas struck out. And then Mitchell Daly hits into a 6-4-3 inning-ending double play. So they didn't leave the bases loaded, but they had the bases loaded with nobody out and got nothing out of it. And and that was difficult. <laughs> and then they get to the bottom of the ninth. And really and truly, David Pierce is kind of in a no-win situation if they don't win. And here's what I mean by this. Charlie Hurley had come in in the seventh and wobbled. Well, he gave up. He gave up the two-run homer in the sixth to uh, cut it to 3-2. But then got out of a thing in the seventh and worked a one, two, three, eighth. So now you get to the ninth. Hurley looks like he's doing all right. However, you've got your closer who has, I won't say been lights out. He's not like, you know, facing the minimum, but he has done the job. He did it on Tuesday night, even though it got interesting against Texas A&M. He did it the, the prior weekend against Texas Tech. I mean, there, there's there's been some some iffy moments, but Zane Morehouse had done the job. He's your closer. So you go to him, and he gets a line shot out for out number one. Then you get a base hit. Then it's a walk. Then it's another walk. And then you get a wild pitch against the run home. And this is this gets back to Longhorn Bears uh, text. The ball, and we talked about this, and, and the folks at Oklahoma State had told us that that brick backdrop that brick wall, and there's not a lot of foul territory behind the plate anyway. A lot of times come skips right back to the catcher. That's exactly what happened Saturday night. Longhorns had a guy thrown out trying to steal second base on a wild pitch back to the screen and got thrown out because it was a perfect hop back to Chase Atkinson, the catcher. He fires a strike down, uh, and it's a 2-6 caught stealing. It looks like a regular 2-6 caught stealing. The box score went, in fact, it carried him back. Well, when the wild pitch happened yesterday, it didn't hit that. It ricocheted out off the first base line. Rock Riggio scores the game-tying run, and then, boom, base hit, uh, past the diving Jared Thomas, and they you know, they lose the ball game. Oklahoma State wins 4-3. to three. So after the game, uh, Roger Wallace down on the field visiting with David Pearson in our post-game conversation, and as you might imagine, the thoughts about what might have been and did not finish out right for Texas. David, a lot of will remember the bottom of the ninth, but uh, you're up 3 nothing with one out in the first and, and just can't apply uh, any more offensive pressure other than the top of the ninth, and they get out of it unscathed. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's frustrating. It's frustrating we get three in the first, and we just don't put together any at-bats to create any offense. 
up until top of the ninth, and we're in a great situation. We got bases loaded, nobody out, and we go punch out double play ball. So, you know, when you leave runners in scoring position like that and you don't get it done, you've got to make some adjustments mentally to take care of those kind of things and then go to the ninth and walk two guys and you know, that's what happens. You just give a good team an opportunity, and they took advantage of it, and we didn't. Yeah, you, you mixed and matched your bullpen. You, you get three out of LBJ, and and you get right where you want to be with the, the lead in the ninth inning. Guys in the bullpen, Charlie makes uh, one mistake, but it's hard to imagine holding this OSU team down here at home like that. Yeah, he had two strikes on the hitter, and he just had a slider back up on him. Uh, but, you know, you, you, you look at all the different options and the different guys that contributed, and then – you know, it just comes down to the end of not making pitches or not putting offense together in the ninth. And it's unfortunate because we played really well most of the weekend. And when you play good teams, you can't afford to be one or two pitches away or not make a defensive play or whatever the case is. you got to finish the job. And we got to be better at finishing the job. That's all it is to it. I know the sting of this one, but you think about these two weekends to come away uh, four and two in the Big 12 and, and coming home, that still uh, looks pretty good. It does. It just when you have opportunity and, you know, you're in a good spot to win the series here, really creates some momentum and, and helps us in, in kind of the big picture. But, you know, this is a tough league, and we all know it, but – if they had blown us out, it'd be one thing. You just got boat race, but to be in a position to win the game and just not do it was very unfortunate. But our team, uh, they'll scratch back. We've got a tough week coming up. I was going to say, you get the Tuesday with the Air Force and then the condensed because of the holiday on Sunday with a, a series at the K-State starting on Thursday. Yeah, uh, the bus ride would have been much shorter had we just held on and won the game, but we got a long bus ride. Plenty of time to think about your assignments, think about what you did well. Um, and then work on the things you didn't well do well. Um, and every weekend we're trying to get better. We're trying to learn. And this, if this, if you don't learn from these situations, then you're not paying attention. And I, I think we're gonna we're gonna get stronger because of this. But at the same time, it does sting. Um, and again, we can't drop our guard. So we got a long ride home. We got Monday to regroup, and then Tuesday, get ready for four games and. Four days, five days. You know who else made that long ride home? And I texted a pit, a, a photo yesterday to Cameron and to Jeff. And I said, if you see the figure standing over there in the corner, I, I said, Cam will know who this is. Did you, did you figure out who it was, Jeff? I did not, no. I couldn't tell. The figure standing over there in the black uh, western hat was none other than the father of our producer, Cameron Parker. Is that, is that who it was? Mr. Parker was one of the two bus drivers. I couldn't for tell. For the Texas Longhorn baseball team. It was a little bit grainy. And, and, and what they did was they had two buses, and one had basically the position players on it and some support staff and things like that. And then the other one had the pitchers and some other support staff on it. And uh, the bus that was driven by Cam's dad – had Coach Pierce on it, mm-hmm. so he said they had some lively conversation. Yeah, you know, on that. I'm sure my dad was giving Coach Pierce coaching 
tips the entire trip to Stillwater. Uh, and and what time did they roll in? They they got in pretty late too. By the time we passed them on I thirty five between Stillwater and Oklahoma City, but then of course Roger and I were going to the airport and waiting on delayed flights, and we end up landing after midnight. But what time did the buses roll back to campus? He said he got back about one twenty a.m., but that's after like dropping off the team and driving back to the yard. So I'm sure the the team got in around midnight. Yeah, probably. right around the same time we did. They back to the ballpark there, and so now they turn it around. They got a four o'clock start tomorrow afternoon against the Air Force Academy. So 4 o'clock tomorrow, and you'll hear that on AM 1260 and 101.9 FM tomorrow. And then, of course, turn around right after that, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, against Kansas State. K-State coming off taking two out of three at home against West Virginia. So uh, that'll be next up. All right. Up next, Inconceivable. Can't wait to hear what Jeff has to have on uh, Inconceivable. When we continue with Light the Tower on the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260, live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Light the Tower with Craig Way and Jeff Howe. Inconceivable. 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 You keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. It could mean any number of things. Like, I'm, I'm really anxious and interested in finding out what major... Uh, what did you say? Landscape shifting? It's a paradigm shift in paradigm the world of shift? sports and entertainment. Let's hear it. All right. So, world wrestling entertainment. Somebody mentioned, uh, Big Craig actually hit me up on the Twitter machine, mentioned WrestleMania earlier this year. By the way, <laughs> shout out to Big Craig for this. Um, remember what I said about the Caitlin Clark deal? Like, what loser has time to count how many seconds there were right, between right, right. gestures? Did he count? No, he said, but somebody counted on WrestleMania night one of the main event. There were 37 kickouts, 37 false finishes in the main event. Does that fall into the same category? Yeah, of that it kind sort of defeats of thing? the. Well, number yeah. one, it kind of defeats the purpose of a false finish. And two, yeah, I don't know who had time to sit there and go back to the replay and count all that Apparently out. Apparently somebody did. Somebody did it, so I don't have to. So WWE has been uh, up for sale for the better part of the last few months. And hey, there was a scandal last summer with uh, Vince McMahon and some hush money payments for some sexual misconduct allegations. And then it led to his resignation or his retirement. And then his return, he was reinstated as chairman. And then his daughter resigned from her co-COO role. It was just a big, a big, huge mess. But it ends today with WWE being sold to the Endeavor Group, Craig, so WWE itself has been sold. To the Endeavor Group, which owns the UFC. Okay. They're going to form a new publicly traded company, which is going to be valued at $21 B billion. Billion. Uh, Endeavor shareholders will own 51% of the newly combined company, while WWE shareholders will uh, are getting 49%. Quote, this is a rare opportunity to create a global live sports and entertainment. Pure play built uh, for where the industry is headed. Ariel Emanuel, CEO of Endeavor, in a st- uh, said in a statement, uh, he said he will be the CEO of the new company and retain his chief executive title at the agency. Vince McMahon will retain his current WWE title of executive chairman at the new company, which doesn't yet have a name. He said in a statement that the new company, quote, will be well positioned to maximize the value of our combined media rights. He also said the new company could expand by pursuing other mergers and acquisitions, quote, to further bolster our strong stable of brands. So this is unique because the WWE back back to before it was the WWF, before it was the WWWF, 
when it was cap- I didn't know there was a WWWF. When it was Capital Wrestling, which was founded by Vince McMahon's grandfather and his father, Jess McMahon and Vincent J. McMahon, his father. It's basically been a family-owned business since it was formed. Vince bought it from his dad in the early 80s, basically bankrolled the whole thing on the first WrestleMania. It hit big with yeah, Muhammad Ali and Cindy Lauper and Mr. T and... You know, the Hulk Hogan rock and wrestling era Shout was off Shout out for Cindy Lauper re- reference on yeah. this program. So uh, it took off from there. It became kind of the global entertainment behemoth that it's become. And mm-hmm. it is now no longer strictly a family-owned business. Now this wow. merger with the UFC under the Endeavor umbrella, it's going to be a new company. And McMahon's like the number two in charge, isn't he? Uh, he's like an executive vice president. Yeah, he was. he's the executive chairman. Nick Khan has been the CEO okay. of, that, uh, of that company. But... $21B billion is what this WWE-UFC merger is being valued at. Okay. okay. How's, how's that for a nice little shit? That is. There you go. How you feeling about that? Um, I'll be honest. I don't watch the product as intently as I used to, uh, but it's, it's a good deal. I mean, I, I, this tells me that Endeavor feels really good about where WWE's television rights are going because those contracts with NBC Universal and with Fox are coming up due I think in the next within the next year. Okay. So this probably tells you that they feel good about what those tele- that television rights money is going to be. Big stuff, no doubt. Big announcement. And of course, Craig, as we know, dealing with college athletics, it's all about that TV rights money. Uh absolutely. We know that as we approach the grant of rights ending here coming up. Um, all right, uh, a couple of things. First of all, fast food note. Uh, I know you're not a big Chick-fil-A fan, right? Oh, au contraire. Oh, you my are a man. big Chick-fil-A. I, I, I can't remember that. I couldn't remember What is that. my Chick-fil-A status? I have the app, so it's pretty, that and the Whataburger app are the only two food apps I've got. Okay, all right. Uh, my status with Chick-fil-A, I'm a signature member. Wow, okay. What's your go-to Chick-fil-A when you get it? You know, it, dep- it varies. It varies. Uh, lately, I've been going with the nuggets over the chicken sandwich. As Rod Babers calls them, those little bigoted bites of joy. I don't know why people take so long in the Chick-fil-A drive-thru. You either get mm-hmm. nuggets or a sandwich. Or, or, may- or maybe you want a salad. It-, it ain't that many options. Which brings us to our story. Uh, Chick-fil-A has reversed course on a controversial decision to pull the side salad. They had decided to dump the side salad. They said, in an effort to simplify and refresh our menu, we made the difficult decision to remove the side salad from our menus earlier this month. However, based on feedback, we've chosen to continue serving the side salad at participating restaurant locations. Is that the kale salad, or is that something different? I don't know. Because there have been times where, you know, like with your meal, you can sub, you can substitute yep. fries and you get fruit, or like yep. you get a side that's a kale salad. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's the same deal or not. Okay. Well, they're returning the side salad. They're off of that. My wife's a big fan of the uh, the Chick Fil A. I think it's like the spicy chicken something or other. Salad. Okay, okay. Um, all right. So I've got a couple other things here. Um, remember a few years ago when we started it, it started getting the deal about how you had to get a real ID with the, you, you, the driver's license, the real ID thing that, you, that the airports were going to require. Real, what was called real ID, uh, that, and that was the difference also between being having a horizontal ID and a vertical. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And my youngest, of course, with a driver's license, being younger, had the vertical thing. Now, well, two women 
headed for Las Vegas, were refused alcohol at the airport because the only ID they had on them was vertical. <laughs> Even though they were of age, it was a vertical ID. So, uh, Chloe, that's her name, Chloe, explains that she and her travel companion, also a young woman, got to the airport a whole two hours early for their flight. They thought they'd kill some time sipping on drinks at the bar, but were she quickly like Sharon denied. Madonna, she's just going by one name? I guess. Or she just did on that. Anyway, she said this, her quote, this rude-ass lady is like, we can't accept your ID because it's vertical. Uh, she's 22, her friend's 23, well over the Canadian drinking age of 19 for most of its provinces and territories, including Ontario. She was flying out of that. She says, what do you mean you can't accept the ID? And she was told it's vertical. For those unfamiliar with the vertical IDs, both in Canada and the U.S., the document's vertical orientation usually means the cardholder is under the age so of So if they were at the airport bar together, would they have been sitting side by each, Craig? Side by each, as the Canadians would say there. So, yeah. So there was, as a result of that, they refused, they were refused alcohol. Okay. Hey, Craig, if, you, if you've got... Uh I don't know what you got, but I've got a breaking fast food tidbit that just came across. Really? My Twitter machine, yeah. All right, let's have it. Uh, McDonald's has closed its U.S. offices for a few days. This is according to the Wall Street Journal. Uh, as the company prepares to inform corporate employees about layoffs, according to a published yeah. report, the Wall Street Journal cited an internal email from the Chicago fast food giant saying U.S. corporate staff and some employees overseas should work from home while the company notifies people of their job status. McDonald's declined to comment on the report early Monday. The report said McDonald's would inform its employees this week about staffing decisions that are part of a broad restructuring uh, the company announced earlier. Been hearing that was coming. So yeah. Keep on look out for that. All right, Jeff, Cam, do you know what happened 50 years ago today? And before you answer the question, something happened today that makes your life completely different. 50 years ago today. Had it not happened, 50 years, April 3rd, 1973. Uh, enlighten me. How about the first ever cell phone call? Wow. The first ever cell phone call. Martin Cooper was standing on a sidewalk on 6th Avenue in Manhattan with a device the size of a brick. <laughs> and he made the first public call from a cell phone to one of the men he'd been competing with to develop the device. He was working for Motorola, and he called the head of AT&T-owned Bell Labs and said, I'm calling you on a cell phone, but a real cell phone, a personal handheld portable cell phone and it weighed about two and a half pounds <clears throat> at the time the man is now 94 years of it's age like one of them bag phones uh, yeah. hard set he used to have back in the day it's right he said they were the biggest company in the world we were a little company in chicago they just didn't think we were very important uh but he said um he said he was polite to me when he calls but the other guy didn't remember the call this day um and then it went ahead and hit the market not long after that. It was about a foot tall, weighed two and a half pounds, and cost 3900 bucks. So the next time you're complaining about the price of an iPhone 14, which weighs six ounces, just under six inches, uh, remember that. 50 years ago today, the first ever cell phone call. I just want to know if Harge had a pair of Zubaz pants while he was carrying around that bag phone. That's a great question. we we'll have to ask about that. <laughs> Second hour of Life, the Tower, coming up on the horn. 